myself again. Welcome to the family with Doug Sprinthal, Andy Brampernard, Mike Gelfin. And we'll be right back, kick things off. Ian O'Connor will join us. The book, Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. This ought to be very interesting. Big fan of Mike Krzyzewski, actually. Hell of a, hell of a coach. I'm glad that Mr. Gelfand is with us because uh, he knows his college basketball, baby. Ah. We shall be right back with Ian O'Connor right after this. Well, I've been getting a lot of emails lately about uh, Walzer's absence on the KQ Morning Show. You would think that people breathlessly follow my every move, but that's apparently not true. Every year since uh, we started doing commercials with Tom and the KQ crew, God, is it 14 years ago, I think? Uh, We've always taken January and February off because it's the quiet time of the year in the car business. But we are, I got a call from Pat Eberts. We were going back live on Tuesday. Um, So look for more exciting automotive content at that point. In the meantime, if you're shopping for a newer used cars in the Twin City or greater metro area, it would behoove you to remember about Walzer's uh, Walzer Care program, 10-year, 150,000-mile powertrain on all new and 80% of our used cars, and it's absolutely free. See everybody on Tuesday. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this. If the adjuster really, truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. We're rocking out, man. That's all I have to say to you. Did you hear me? That's Sarah's Sam Cooke take on uh, U2 song. I love I love Sam Cooke. Yeah. Didn't he get beat to death with a whiskey bottle or something? Isn't that I how he thought died? he got shot. Hmm. Neither are good. It was a... Uh, Let's see here. Kind of a nefarious deal, I think, involving a, a white woman and a potential setup. And it was a... It was a well, it's, it's always a bad deal when you get murdered. Yes. Yes, he had a, He was shot in the heart. Really? Mm. Well, that's not good. That's not good at all. I, um, well, you know what is gonna, good is the uh, career of Coach K. You got it. Ian O'Connor with us. How you doing, Ian? How are you? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Our pleasure to have you on. I'm a big fan of Coach K's. I mean, how, long, how many years now, Ian? How many years has he been there? Uh 42 years at Duke, 47 overall. He spent his first five years as a head coach at West Point. God, that's, that's a long run. 47 total. 42, at, uh, un, that's amazing. That is a long, long run. 
Gelfam, what do you think? It's a lot of stress. Uh, you know, that he must have consumed probably more Rolaids uh, over the course of those years than almost any American. Probably. Probably <laughs> true. So how did it all start with the book? Ian O'Connor with us, ladies and gentlemen. The book is called Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. How many people have interviewed you that don't know how to say his name, Krzyzewski? Are there a lot? Oh, a lot. A lot. And actually, his first press conference at Duke in 1980, he spelled it for everyone. And <laughs> so, and now the court, the basketball court at Duke is named after him. So oh. I think he's come a long way from that press conference. There's no question about it. Like I said, I just... Uh... Just a really, really big fan. So did you grow up as a uh, college basketball? Look, college basketball and professional basketball, to me, Ian, are completely different sports. Uh, there's actually some coaching and planning going on at the college level, and once you get to the pros, it's more me now. Well, yeah, the pros, it's, it's more about uh, who has the most talent, and that's basically the NBA, and uh, the team with the most talent usually wins. In college basketball, it is more coach-centric, and you're still developing players more than, than maybe you would at the professional level. And uh, Coach K had a few opportunities to go to the NBA and almost took the jump once in 1990 to the Celtics, another time in 2004 oh, to the yeah. Lakers when Kobe Bryant was personally uh, recruiting him to the Lakers. And he came close, but he never left. I think because he realized that at heart he's a teacher. You do more teaching in college than you do mm-hmm. in pros. And he ended up getting the best of both worlds because he stayed at Duke, and he also got to coach the best NBA players in the world at the Olympics. So it was well, a good decision. It was a great decision. Shashevsky uh, built a staggering base, uh, basketball empire that has endured more than four decades, placing him among the all-time titans. I said titans, Ian. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He is a titan. There's no doubt about that. I, I think he's probably, I think he is the greatest college basketball coach of all time. Some people would put John Wooden and his mm-hmm. 10 national titles ahead of him. But Mike has 530 more victories than, than Coach Wooden. And they both went to 12 Final Fours. Mike has a chance to get to 13. And, of course, in Minneapolis in 92, he won the national title. And another thing that was uh, significant about that final four is that was the beginning of the end of his relationship with Bobby Knight. Uh, he beat Bobby Knight in that semifinal in Minneapolis in 92. And right. afterward, Knight had given a Duke assistant coach a letter to give to a note to give to Mike. Mike got that note after the game. And it basically was Bob Knight saying, Hey, I did a lot for you. And <laughs> Knight was really upset about some quotes that he read in the newspaper that seemed where it seemed that coach K was trying to create distance between himself and, and Bob Knight. So that was, that was the beginning of the end of that relationship at that final. Well, he's floor. lucky. Uh, he's lucky he didn't get a chair thrown at him. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> well, listen, I don't know the, uh, the handshake line afterward, uh, Knight barely stopped it. It was a drive-by oh. handshake. So, Luck, uh, lucky Leighton didn't so, kick him in the chest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I was there when Leighton did that in 92 at the Philadelphia Spectrum. Of course, that was the same game he made the uh, the greatest shot in college basketball history, but he probably should have been ejected from that game just based on the fact he uh, he stomped on uh, Aminu, Aminu uh, Timberlake. That was his name. Aminu Timberlake, he stomped on his chest. And I think today probably would have been ejected from the game, but somehow he stayed in. 
and then they'd be the greatest shot ever. I got a very quick story, and Mr. Gelfand will remember this. I think you'll remember it, Mike. When uh, Kristen Leitner came to play for the Minnesota Timberwolves, he was around for a while, and I'm, I tend to be not hard on professional players, but I'm harder on them than I am on, on, uh, on you know, college players, high school players, anything like that. Well, I'm not hard on high school players at all, but college players and the professionals. Um, the one time I personally met Christian Leitner, uh, that I, I met him in person, he walked up to me and said, Tom, why do you hate me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate you. I, I don't have to kiss your ass to prove that I don't hate you. I mean, come on. I will never forget that. Well, also, guy I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised, that, that, that Leitner always sort of carried himself as a guy who apparently didn't care what people thought of him. Right. And yet yet he said he said that to you, so I, that, that surprises me a little bit. No, he, he just – well, first of all, it is a bit frightening and – to have a guy who's like eight, nine inches taller than you uh, say, why do you hate me? It's like, no, what do you mean, Mr. Giant? I, I'm fine. <laughs> He's a big fella, man, I'll tell you that. Yeah, he is. Uh, well, I, I've had taller people uh, get in my face a little bit over the years as a sports journalist for 36 years, uh, including uh, one player who was seven foot four, so, and I'm 5'11". And, uh, yeah, so that, that can be an interesting experience when that happens. Yeah, I, I, I covered it, basketball, uh, college basketball, uh, from time to time, and yeah, I found that there were some players. I wouldn't say they got got in my face. I'd say they more like got in my uh, navel, because uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, man, uh, scary stuff. Though, really scary stuff. And uh, but you know, I also found I, I'm, uh, maybe maybe you feel the same way. I don't know. I covered baseball mostly. And I found that uh, college basketball players, for me, covering them, it was just like a, it was just like a dream come true. You know, they were they were fun to cover. They 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 most of them still didn't have a huge attitude, an attitude, but not a huge one. And and they tended to be, I I always thought, just tended to be a lot a lot cooler guys, I guess. Yeah, and I I always enjoyed covering college basketball too. I would say I enjoyed it more in the. 90s when you had players staying more players staying right. three four years and you you could see players really developing as human beings and rivalries develop over time back in the 80s just remembering uh, in the big east and i lived in the new york area and chris mullen versus patrick ewing for four oh, years yeah. was oh, a, lot, a lot of fun to see and you don't get that anymore right everybody it's one and done or yes uh or sometimes none and done and so that that's college basketball has really suffered because of that and uh, these players go into the NBA. It used to be where when you arrived in the NBA, you had been marketed for basically for free at the college level for three or four years. So yeah. fans sometimes don't really know these guys as they enter the NBA. Yeah. God, I, w- so I, I think everybody's love- going to know pa- Paolo Banquero, huh? Paolo Banquero, good, really good player. Top, he'll be a top, I don't know, top five NBA pick, but... If, if Duke's going to win the whole thing and send Coach K out with a fairy tale ending, he needs to get a little bit more aggressive, impose his will on the game a little bit more. He's, he certainly has all the skill in the world, but I, I find sometimes in games he's sort of drifting out there, and and so uh, I, I think they're good enough to win the whole thing, but I don't think they're the favorite to do that. No, no, not uh, Gonzaga's and Arizona are clearly the favorites, right? Yeah, and I, I, I'd watch out for Kentucky and maybe Auburn too. Yeah, I, I think. 
I think Duke is probably at that second tier, at the top of that second tier right now. But, yeah, the teams you mentioned and Gonzaga is – the problem with Gonzaga is they've never won it. They're, they've had chances that gone into the tournament where it looked like they were the team to beat, but until they actually do it, that's a little bit of a burden to carry around. And, and the interesting thing about Coach K, and I write about this in my book, is there was a time where he was the guy who couldn't win the big one. He lost the national championship in 86. He lost at the Final Four in 88 and 89. He lost the national championship in a big way in 90. So going into the 91 Final Four, where they finally broke through and won, they were carrying a big, big burden as a program and, and Mike as a coach, just having never broken through. So I think... I don't think the burden is quite that large on Gonzaga, but it's getting there. And at some point, they, they need to go the distance. Well, you guys aren't even mentioning the University of Minnesota. Ian, what's going on? <laughs> I, I have not seen Minnesota play this year, unfortunately. And uh, so you tell me, how do they look in the Big Ten? And I've seen uh, some of some of Michigan. I've seen some of Rutgers because I, I live not too far away. Rutgers has had a pretty good year, and and uh, Ohio State a little bit. But how's Minnesota doing? Well, it started off pretty well, but kind of Mike, wouldn't you say they've hit the skids? Yeah, you know, it's it's of course uh, this is we're in a rebuilding century. <laughs> <laughs> no, he ain't. He ain't lying. I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> we are in a rebuilding a century. One. Hey, Clem Haskins. My favorite thing about Clem Haskins is he would put S's where they didn't belong and take S's away from where they did belong. I love that one. He even called himself Clem yeah. Haskim, which I thought was phenomenal. How was Richard? Yeah, really, he was there, right? Richard Pitino, yeah, he was around. He seemed pleasant enough. Uh, I didn't really know him uh, all, all that well. Uh, yeah, he was, he was, he was fine. Who was the Who was the young guy that went to Gonzaga from the University of Minnesota? Oh, Monson. Was it? Oh, yeah, Dan right, Monson, exactly. Right. Yeah. So where is he now? Dan Dan Monson. Yeah, Dan Monson. Where, where is he where now? He is now. Yeah. I have no idea. Nice enough guy, but he's yeah, back I mean, on the West Coast. Yeah. Oh, is he? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I like I said, I. Uh, the thing about it is, Ian, we're talking to Ian O'Connor about his book, Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. And again, 42 years, 40, what'd you say, 46, 47 years total. That's, uh, I mean, that is a, look, you can do that in radio and selling cars, but I don't know if you can do it very often in college or any sport in college or professional levels. That's what an amazing achievement that is. Monson is in Long Beach State, probably, by the way. Oh, that's right. Yep, Long Beach State. I, I don't know if you saw, but he he couldn't finish a game recently. Uh, he got sick, and at halftime he stopped coaching and didn't come out for, for the second half. And then the next time he did a press conference, he effectively said, this is why I'm retiring. He's 75. And the grind, I think they had played five games in 11 days, and it just caught up oh, to him at age 75. Man. But I was surprised that he admitted that in a press conference because he's not one to make those kind of, of admissions uh, for public consumption, that he's fallible physically. And, and so he, that was really the first time I've heard him say something like that. And so he, he's retiring at, at the right time because uh, it, it is catching up to him. And it would, it would be a great story, obviously, if they can take it all the way here. I just don't know if they have quite enough to do that. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that, what's so funny about Mike Krzyzewski is I st- I'm sitting here talking to Ian O'Connor, who wrote the book about uh, Coach K, and I still picture him from, like, 35, 40 years ago. <laughs> I'd say 30 years ago. I still can't get that picture. He's a very, very young coach. What, well, obviously, he's 75 now, and you said he's been uh, at it since, what, 29, I think, right? He was, right, and he was, uh, when he got hired at Duke, he was, what, 33. 33. So, yeah, he was in his 20s. He was in his 20s when he got the Army job, and uh, Bob Knight helped him get the Army job. Bob Knight helped him get the Duke job, too. And and then, of course, over time, their their relationship ended at uh, Pinehurst, North Carolina, in 2015. Oh, sure. There was a reunion there, a West Point reunion of Knight's. It was the 50th anniversary of his first team at Army, and... And, and Mike approached Knight's table, and Knight completely ignored him. So that, that night, Mike said, that's it, I'm done with this guy. And uh, I don't think they've spoken since. Why would he do that? I don't understand why you would do that. Well, he, they had their moments over time. And I, I yeah. think it came down to Mike, Mike broke his record. And when your protege surpasses you, that's a tough thing for a mentor to, to deal with. And I think that was the root of their issues. I suppose. You know, I've got to be honest with you. The reason I ask you that, and you know, the guys on the show can tell you, I've been doing a morning show in this market now. Well, I've been in radio for 51 years, other than the seven-year stint at Capitol Records, and then I got back into radio. I've been in the same morning show now for 36 years. And, you know, as you go on, you just don't expect it. Because having put in the 36 years, I go, well, nobody's probably beat that by very much. And then you find out, yeah, well, Coach K did by about 11 years, so shut up. He only works three months out of the year, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He only works three months of the year. That's exactly it. I don't know about that. The off season with recruiting and everything. It's, oh yeah, it's, uh, oh, yeah. it's a full time job. I'm just kidding. I do have a comment. Is there any more annoying basketball fan on the planet than a Duke fan? The reason I ask is my little sister and my brother in law are Dukies, and they're just terrible. They're just nauseating people. I'll say this, uh, covering uh, a couple of games there in the 90s with the Christian Leitner, Grant Hill, Bobby Hurley teams, it's the only college arena I've ever been in. And the fans, the press row, the fans were just absolutely on top of you, the Cameron Crazies. And, uh, and a couple of fans pointed out that I had a dangling participle in my second paragraph on my laptop. So that's the first time that's ever happened. That's tough. Yeah. That's a great story. <laughs> Ian, that is a, a terrific story. <laughs> Did you grow up playing, uh, playing basketball yourself? Not really. I was more of a football, baseball guy. I, I started really falling for college basketball when I was about 14 in 1979 when Magic Johnson and Larry Bird met in the oh, oh NCAA God. final. And I, I really think that a lot of uh, the kids uh, after that game, uh, my generation anyway, really gravitated toward basketball. But I, I wish I had picked it up earlier because I, I love basketball. But mm-hmm. uh, I was a little late to the game. And I, I'm, I'm a little – I wish college basketball was what it was 25 years ago. And yeah. Uh, when when players stay, I understand why they leave, and certainly they have the right to do it. But it was just a lot more fun to see rivalries between players develop over time instead of, hey, Zion Williamson was one year at Duke, and and then he was gone. So it's uh, I, I miss I miss I hate to sound like uh, someone who's a little outdated here on this subject, but I do miss the good old days of guy staying for three and four years in college. Just so you know, oh, yeah. you're the, the second youngest person on the podcast currently. 
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you have it. No, it's just that whole day. Well, first of all, for, for us, Ian, have you ever been to the barn on the University of Minnesota campus, Ian? I have not. No, I have okay, not. Okay, well, I got it. I, I've been on the campus, but I, I have not been uh, at the barn. One of the things about being a University of Minnesota basketball fan, uh, and I am, there's no doubt about it, I'm a little heartbroken the past, oh, 25 years, but, you know. <laughs> but going to the barn is such an experience, and I think maybe that's another part of college basketball that I like because they have arenas like like uh, Williams Arena. When you go the, you go to the barn, it, the experience of just sitting in that building, Ian, is phenomenal. A lot of that in college basketball, though, isn't there? Oh, there is. There are certain venues, and and now that you bring that up, I need to get there because oh, I you love do. college yep. basketball venues that have that feel. Cameron has that at Duke, and the Palestra in Philadelphia, and uh, so there are certain uh, gyms and arenas that. Okay, so now that I know that, and I have heard that before, so I need to get. I, I was on campus what a couple, two, three years ago when the Vikings were playing um, at, at at the. Uh, at the campus football stadium uh, right, while, while right. the new stadium was being built. And yep. so I need to get to the barn for sure. But I, I do love those old-fashioned college gymnasiums slash arenas that give you that intimate vibe. When I went to Cameron Indoor Stadium, my, my wife had never been there. So we went about a month ago. And we, we were five rows from the top of the building. And I paid $250 a ticket on StubHub to go. And now, of course, the, the game coming up against North Carolina, the, the most expensive oh, ticket man. is going for eighty thousand dollars. <laughs> uh, but that seems I think, the, I think the cheapest ticket, I think the cheapest ticket is three thousand dollars. But I was sitting five rows from the top, but it felt like we were on top of the court. There wasn't a bad seat in the house, and part of that was just the atmosphere was so great. And so I, I will make it a uh, make it a point to get to a uh, Minnesota basketball game at home. You know, uh, the best way, and Mike Elfan can probably back me up on this one, but I've, uh, well, we, Mike, along with me, uh, would literally uniform up and go take uh, a little batting practice with the Minnesota Twins at their stadium, uh, you know, throwing the football around uh, at the Viking Stadium, had a great time going down on the field. Already. Compared to the barn, it just doesn't match up. I mean, it's great. I love being on the field with the Twins and the Vikings. It was wonderful, but it's just not the barn. The barn, maybe, and it's maybe the fact that I was born in Minnesota and raised here that it makes such a big deal. It's just that great a place. Wouldn't you guys, no, Mike, wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, yeah, and, and the thing about the barn is it's it's sort of like going back to uh, to the, uh, the, the original Olympics, you know, in Greece, where yeah. if you lost, they just shot you or <laughs> killed you in some other way. Because there's no other court like the court there in Williams Arena where uh, you know, it's, it's entirely possible to uh, to dive for a loose ball, you know, oh, right God. right by the edge of the court, and uh, just keep going and crash about eight feet down into the uh, into the pit, <laughs> hit your head on a on a, on a cast iron seat, and uh, you know there goes the career. But uh, we we that's the thing about the wonderful thing about golfer basketball is we sometimes uh, we, we we take names. We do indeed. One false move, you're done. I love it. Ian, didn't, uh, uh, you didn't say, Mike, go ahead. I was going to say, didn't Michael Thompson play at, at Minnesota? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yep. Play Thompson's father, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember. Kevin McHale. Yeah. Good old days. Kevin McHale. Yeah, he had some great players there. 
Did we have Dave Winfield, who, uh, along with his brother, beat the crap out of uh, an Ohio State player while all of us who were there at the game watched in horror? Luke Witt. Luke Witte. Luke Witte, yeah. Luke Witte it was. Yeah, Luke Witte. His brother Steve, yeah. Yeah. Luke Witte was never the same after that. that. That actually is the moment that sort of soured me on, uh, not on basketball by any means, but it did sour me on the University of Minnesota sports in general because that's something you never forget. And let it happen, too. They absolutely did let it happen. Um, you can stay with us another 15 minutes, Ian. Do you have 15 more? Absolutely, Tom. Sure. Okay, we'll take a very quick break, just a couple of minutes. Be right back. Ian O'Connor, the book is called Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski, one of my all-time basketball heroes, no doubt about it. Right back with Ian. The 2022 Bloomington Boat Show is here and going on now. Get out of the cold and into a 25,000-square-foot heated showroom at Dan Southside Marine. A huge inventory of boats means the best deals of the year. Get the boat you want rigged the way you wanted it. Over 60 boats on display from Premier, Avalon, Berkshire, Alumacraft, and more. Ask about the new Alumacraft Competitor FSX, the best new fish ski crossover on the market. See the Premier Revolution featuring first-of-its-kind rotational seating or Avalon's new electric VRB, all rigged with motors from Suzuki. Shop a huge inventory of boats inside a heated 25,000-square-foot showroom. The Bloomington Boat Show at Dan Southside Marine. Factory reps will be there, too. Bring the family and explore what's new for 2022 at the Bloomington Boat Show at Dan Southside Marine. Located just six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington, visit BloomingtonBoatShow.com. Tom Bernard talking with Brad Huckle and Michael Bilski of North American Banking Company. We've talked a few times over the years about how North American Banking Company has helped local businesses when they're ready for expansion. We love talking about the success of our customers. One example is suburban manufacturing in Monticello. They create innovative products that produce clean, dry air that is needed during the manufacturing process. We recently helped them expand their business. Moving into a new building gave them the space they needed to add new equipment and production lines. We were able to step in quickly and provide the financing they needed when they needed it. When we help businesses like suburban manufacturing with their expansion, it's beneficial for our customers, but their growth also creates new jobs in our community. So they make stuff that produces clean, dry air for manufacturing after working with Bilski. Do they breathe easier with their business belt? We certainly hope so, Tommy, and that's no hot air. Nice one. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. You all have helped build my pillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, and I just uh, noticed something that I hadn't seen before, and i got to bring it up now. We're talking about the book, Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski, and it was written by, ladies and gentlemen, not one, not two, but three-time New York Times bestselling author Ian O'Connor. Big shot, Ian. Oh, no. No, I would never describe <laughs> myself that way. <laughs> he goes, oh, no. No. 
That's pretty important. That's rather impressive, don't you think, sir? I guess I I pour myself into these biographies that I've done. Uh, Belichick before this one, Arnie and Jack, uh, the great golf rivalry, and uh, Derek Jeter. And so I've always been fascinated by greatness and the pursuit of it. And that's why, effectively, I ended up doing this uh, fifth book that I've written on Coach K. And and because I was there for probably his greatest moment, although there were there were two, you'd put the victory over UNLV at the '91 Final Four. That that Vegas mm. team was almost unbeatable, and then the the Leitner shot against Kentucky uh, in '92. I was there for both of those moments. So from, from a distance, just always intrigued and a bit of a mysterious figure. Maybe not as mysterious as Belichick, but. So ultimately, uh, towards the end of his career, I said, I think I don't think there's been a defining treatment on him. So I right. attempted to pull that off, and I guess I'll let the readers be the judge of whether or not I, I succeeded. Re- refresh my memory. Was UNLV uh, favored to win that game? Oh, yeah. Yeah, UNLV that's what I thought by battle. a lot. It was the running Rebels, and the, the plan was they were just going to you know, run them right out of the gym, right? Well, remember the previous year in the championship game in Denver, they beat them by 30. That was an historic margin of a victory in that championship game. They just absolutely wiped the floor with Duke. And then they came back with a better team the next year. And Duke just had a better plan. And Duke had uh, Grant Hill. They didn't have Grant Hill in the 90 game. And and, uh, so uh, Bobby Hurley made a huge three-point shot down five with, two minutes and about 13 seconds left, and that changed everything. If Duke loses that game, I'd be curious to see what would have happened to that program because, as I mentioned earlier, they were known as the team that couldn't win the big one. And if they had lost another big one, even though it was to the favorite team, I don't know if they win the championship the following year. Maybe they do. but uh, So uh, that, that really changed the entire trajectory of the Duke program and Mike Krzyzewski's career. A lot of those Las Vegas players had to take a pay cut when they turned pro. Gel <laughs> <laughs> fan, you pill. Hey, let me ask hey, you a my... question about. I, I was just looking at the uh, at the blurb uh, for your book. In your book, uh, it's it's. I'm a big basketball fan, so I'm definitely going to read your book. But um, thank you. The, the tease is that uh, that he was he's great but flawed. What what are some of the flaws that we may not know about? Well, some of them are, are fairly benign, but he's he's not good at uh, fielding criticism. He's not good at saying "I'm sorry" without saying "you're you're" or "I'm wrong" without saying "you were wrong too." When he makes a mistake, mm-hmm. he has a hard time really completely owning it. And I'll say this: this is kind of a funny thing. It's not really in the context of the question you just asked me. But the first time I ever sat behind him at a game was in 1999 in New Jersey in the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. He was facing Steve Alford in Southwest Missouri State, and uh, the profanity was unbelievable for two two hours and 15 minutes. It was relentless. It was extreme. It wasn't just regular profanity, and I cursed a decent amount, so I wasn't morally offended by it. But I could not believe it, and I thought to myself, there are a lot of grandmothers in America who love this guy. If they sat near him, they would have a different viewpoint afterward. So uh, that's surprising. But he he is, he is can be very degrading in his language as he's motivating players in practice. There, there's a lot of Bobby Knight inside of him. The difference is Knight would cross the line of acceptable conduct, coach the player, and Mike would go up to the line, but he would never cross it. 
So his flaws are not particularly conspicuous. And, and as I said earlier, I would say fairly benign. But one of the big ones, and I write about this in the book, is when he makes a mistake, he has a hard time owning it without saying, well, you were part of the mistake, too. And uh, so I documented that in the book. God, what a great... Sounds like marriage to me. (laughs) (laughs) Marriage? (laughs) Ian just took that one right in stride. I like that. It's like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Hey, whatever works. That's all I know is whatever works. Exactly. I just think... And and his styles worked for him because he won won five national championships and, and went to 12 Final Fours and counting. So... He had some players transfer on him who didn't like that in-your-face, intense, 24-7 approach. But for the most part, it worked in a pretty big way. Well, Bobby Knight, of course, had a lot of players who showed up on campus for a few weeks and left, too. So I guess that probably goes with the territory, doesn't it, when you're a great coach? I mean, it wouldn't have happened to Johnny. Johnny wouldn't, that's for sure. Right. Yeah, I don't think you have to do that. I think that, well, let me talk for a second about a different sport and my previous subject, Bill Belichick. And his his, uh, mentor was Parcells. Maybe that's uh, the wrong, his former boss. I don't know if he was his mentor. Bill Parcells would berate people like crazy. Uh, Belichick never did that. And although we don't get to watch practice much of it during the regular season, during training camp, you get to watch as a member of the media, most of training camp. And so I've seen him coach practices in New England, and very rarely is he ever screaming at anyone. He Now, he uses sarcasm. He can cut you in half with, with his dry wit. But I like that. I like coaches who don't always default to that. So I don't think you need that. I mean, Joe Torre, and I know baseball is a little bit of a different animal, but, but in New York he won – four championships in five years, and he did not raise his voice more than a few times. So I I do think there are different ways of motivating athletes. And Coach K's way has worked. And the one thing I've heard about him from many people I interviewed, I interviewed for the book 275 people, and when he has you alone in a room, he, he is a great communicator. He can make you feel like you're the only other person in the world, regardless of your age, race, gender, background. And just, he's a great communicator. That's probably an underestimated or under-talked about skill set that he brings to the table. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, I just, I love the idea of writing a book about Mike Krzyzewski. So, I'm, I, it's so weird because I look back now and it seems to me that uh, I was watching Coach K as a young man about 10 years ago. But no, no, he's 75 years old. I, I would have no, you know, looking back, obviously, Ian, uh, at the years he's been, I would go, oh, yeah, he, well, he has to be. But 75, man, I, that's, that stuff is sneaking up on all of us, isn't it? Nope. Oh, it sure is, right. Oh, Andy, think, my uh, 35-year-old think, son. I used to think 75 was, was really old. Now I'm 57, so I don't really think that anymore because I'm only, <laughs> eight, God willing, 18 years away. <laughs> I used to think when I was 34, I thought 57 was ancient. And so now I'm 57 and you know how that goes. Things change and you, you rewire your sense of, of life and mortality as you get older. Absolutely. Actually, but I had a, uh, a moment like that on the show just now. And I wanted to yeah, ask yeah. if this ever goes away. So you said that uh, Coach K, he had a career of 40 years. 
And my immediate thought, more like a reflex, was like, he must have started, what, in like the 60s? But no, he started a couple of years before <laughs> I was born. Yep. Which, yeah, does that ever, like, do you ever stop thinking of 40 years ago as 40 years before you were born? Or is that just something that happens forever? <laughs> it, it actually gets worse the older yeah, you get. I figured. <laughs> it does, yeah. yeah. Yep. No, I That's hear you true. on that. Yeah, it you hear you hear forty seven years in the business. Yeah, you're thinking nineteen the early nineteen sixties, but yeah. it was what the the late nineteen seventies actually when he started Army. So mid to late, and yeah, so that does uh, mm-hmm. sort of carry with you in age. And uh, but uh, for him to be grinding like this at age seventy five is pretty remarkable. Because he treats every day like it's Game Seven of the World Series, and, and that's off days, off season. And so for him to still be fighting for a national championship at this stage of his life is, is remarkable. It is indeed. The book is called Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. It is available on Amazon, of course. Ian O'Connor, the author of the book. Ian, thank you very much. Great talking about one of my favorite people in all the sports. Coach K, uh, is he as class an act as he seems? Yeah, I think so. Even though I did document the flaws, I, I think yeah, he's a good sure. man. He lived a great, great. He's a great leader, and, and yeah, maybe I wouldn't say a nice guy because I think great leaders often it's hard to be a nice guy when you're yeah. when you're leading people and inspiring them and motivating them. But I think he's a good man who's lived a great American life. Ian, thank you for your time, sir. Thank you, Tom. My pleasure. Have a good day. Ian O'Connor, ladies and gentlemen, on Amazon again. Coach K, the rise and reign of Mike Shashevsky. I, I, I'm sorry, but now that we, we've moved on, I don't wish to be as old as I am looking back at Coach Shashevsky, and now he's 75 years old. It's just what Andy said. It's like, God, that 40 years went by quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm uh, at the age now where the people that I grew up with watching uh, on movies and TV, they're all starting to die. Oh, I suppose. You never yeah. think that's going to happen, but then it starts happening, and then it starts becoming relatives, and then it starts becoming friends. It's uh, we need to figure out immortality yeah. as quickly as possible. Well, well you know, I think of the, I think of the legendary players who I, who I observed, talked to, and in many cases insulted uh, when they threatened to kill me and things like that. When I was a sports writer, which I was not for a long time, I never intended to be. You know, I became a sports writer because they put me on the city hall beat. And I, I said, i got to get off the city hall beat. This is a killer. I, I have no interest in it. So I went over to the sports department and, uh, and covered baseball. But I was just thinking of some of the, some of the giants of the, of the sports industry who I engaged with at some point. And when I was, when I was uh, writing for the Minneapolis Tribune, they, uh, there was some talk that Bobby Knight had uh, had alienated a lot of a lot of his players. Players were defecting from the program; they were coming and going, and uh, so uh, naturally the, the the guys who covered college basketball wouldn't go near it. You know, I know they they're not going to offend Bobby Knight, or, or, or should I say, Bobby Knight? If you get my drift, um, Bobby Knight, so, sports hero, uh, great guy. Uh, so anyway, I uh, uh, so the sports editor said, you know, I want you to I want you to do this story on people who are leaving the Indiana program, and uh, uh, and uh, you know because of Bobby Knight. So uh, I I got uh, you know I got a few a few tips and talked to a few people, and I found out that there was a kid 
he was just a, a rural kid uh, from uh, like rural Indiana, you know, and and rural Indiana is pretty rural. And uh, this kid had this kid was a big recruit, and he he lasted literally like three weeks, and he turned around, and he went home. So I called this kid, and I said, uh, "Well, what's going on?" And he said, "Well, I I I got nothing against Bob Knight." He said, "I just you know I I wasn't used to uh, you know Bloomington, Indiana, man. That's a big city." And I wasn't used to that, and I, I just I had to get out of there. It was making me really anxious, and uh, so you know at the time I didn't really understand that Larry Bird was going to become a, one of the greatest legends of all time. Oh God, yes, of all time, and that that is one of the great stories of all time. How he ended up where he ended up. Um, yeah, French Lick, Indiana. You know, that's, French that's, Lick. Uh, yep. I believe that's where he was from. Yep, that's right. You're. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, I got a couple of listeners just hammering away at me to tell you the story of being uh, being recognized in Nashville. Did you ever hear that one, uh, Mike Gelfand? No. No, Doug, you've heard it. Dandy's heard it, I know. Have you heard it, Doug? I don't believe I have. Okay. So well, you were recognized in the capital of country music for some reason? Well, we were down there doing an appearance. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay, but here's the great part. So I'm going to tell the whole story from the beginning, so you have to stick with me at the very beginning, right? There's a payoff. Apparently our listeners just love this payoff. So I walk into the hotel, and this guy rushes up to me and goes, Oh, God, I, I thought it was you, and I just wanted to come over and tell you I'm a huge fan of yours, man. I've admired you for years to come. God, you're terrific. You you might be the best ever at what you do. I'm a huge fan, and I'm going. Well, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to play it all down, and then of course I'm pulling on the call. Well, you know, I guess everything. Uh, getting pulled pretty full of myself. And he's like, five minutes. Yeah, I got to tell you honestly, I, you do not have a bigger fan than me. You're you're great at your job, and I just I'm so happy to meet you, Coach Parcells. <laughs> He thought I was Bill Parcells, who's 80, by the way. I'd like to point that out. I, I have Bill a similar Par- story about you. Oh, great. Uh, this Wonderful. Is, well, no, it's not. It's actually good. So it was. I think it was probably, what, four, year, four or five years ago we were out in Las Vegas for the morning show deal. And Mr. Lastman, if I recall, uh, got a bunch of us to go to the local dispensary. Because oh, yeah, he wanted right. to sample the local goods. And yep. if you've never been to one, especially in Vegas, I mean, because it's all a cash business, the security at uh, uh, maximum security prison is lighter than it is at the pot dispensaries in Las Vegas. So <laughs> they triple true. check your ID. You're standing outside. They've got armed guards. You only let so many people in at a time. And the four of us, I don't remember who else was in the group, but we're just sitting there talking. All of a sudden, this guy in front of me wheels around, looks at you and goes, you're Tom Bernard, aren't you? I used to live in Wisconsin, but I haven't heard you, your voice for 30 years. How are you doing? This guy had not listened to the morning show in 30 years, and we're just, you know, just talking, and he, turned, he recognized you right away. It is kind of a weird voice, though, I suppose. That's it's distinctive. Not, it's distinctive. Distinctive. I can look back no, had, for a second. I had a, I had a couple guys who came up to me and, and during, during one of the Vegas trips. So one guy in particular, and he said... Hey, you're Bob Sansevier, aren't you? <laughs> and I said, "Yes, I am, you son of a bitch." Now get out of my yeah. face, mf'er. And tell your wife to stop calling me. 
The guy's still talking about what a prick Bob Sansevier is. <laughs> well, you know. Which he's not, reacting. by the way. <laughs> oh, Sandy's a great guy. Sandy's as good as it gets. Yeah, I, you always know what it's... I don't even have to look at the phone number. You just, I go, hello. Hey, Tom! You he doesn't actually need a phone. No, he doesn't need a phone. No, so he doesn't can need a phone. just open the window. <laughs> Sandy does like to belt it out, doesn't he? I don't know. I just, you know, I've got all these great memories now. Being a one thing, I, I believe Mr. Gelfand and I have in common as well, as far as Williams Arena, the barn is concerned. I believe you and I both had the winning shot in a pickup basketball game on that court. You remember that? Well, I had a lot of losing shots. I know that <laughs> intramural basketball. Oh God, what? A... Um, so, so remind me of this. It was, God, I don't even know what year it was. It was 35 years ago, probably. 33, 34. When was Clem Haskins there? When did he leave? He would have been there around 1989, 1990, 1991, in that era. Okay, so, so it, was, it was, let's say, the late 80s then. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, 35 years ago. 33, 34, 35 years ago. And we're, uh, Don Shelby was out on the court. You were there. I was there. Oh, I was trying God, to some Shelby is the biggest hack I've ever played with. <laughs> <laughs> Shelby, Shelby was like, a superstar, uh, at least in his own mind. Yeah. I love Don. Yeah, no, he was he a didn't mind player. triggering that ball, but he was no Mike Max. Mike Max, if you inbounded the ball to Mike Max in a pickup game, you didn't even have to go down court. <laughs> not, not a big fan of the back. pass, was he? <laughs> Uh, you know he had he he had that kind of like that you know twenty five to one points per assist ratio. <laughs> twenty five to one that's a pretty big ratio, baby. His nickname was Applebee because he went two for twenty. Oh, see, you know actually right. he, he just uh, he I I gotta tip the cap to Mike Max and I, I, I honor the guy because he went uh, after. Uh, all this whole whatever the crap is we're going through right now, but he, he just said, "Look, being downtown Minneapolis is like being in hell." And I'm I'm glad that a TV personality stepped up and said, "It is. It's like being in hell now." Why do we keep putting up with this? I don't get it. Do you? So, remind me though. Remind me of this moment at, at Williams Arena because it we is a were, great court to play on. Oh God! It's so much fun. We were playing a pickup. There, there were several pickup basketball games, and I know that you and I were on the same team, right? And I, I do believe yeah. you passed it to me, and I shot, and it won the it won that skirmish. And then later on, a, cu- a couple games later, I passed it to you, and you made the shot that won the skirmish. So you know, we we both have been victors on the uh, barn floor. So you back know then, I mean. the NC two A they could lower the nets to eight feet. I didn't know. Gelfan <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was dunking. It was yeah. unbelievable. I'll tell you my favorite moment playing basketball there. We had an intramural team when I was working at the Minnesota sure. Daily, and uh, we were awful. We were as bad as it gets. And, uh, in fact, uh, in fact, we were so short on that team that we used to have, there was a, there was a guy who worked in the sports department and he was about four foot five, literally. Sure. So we'd have him do the jump ball at the beginning of the game because there was no way we would control it. Um, so anyway, in that, in that age, that was the year, that year, Dave Winfield was not on the, on the Gopher basketball team. He, he joined the team in his second year because he was, you know, doing other sports. Right. And uh, so they had a team. Winfield, I'm sure his brother, you know, uh, two scary guys, believe me. 
uh, and they called themselves the Soulful Strutters. Oh, I remember that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we formed this team, and we called ourselves the the Soulless uh, the Soulless Stumblers. <laughs> it's a great name. So we're getting ready to play a game. Obviously, not against the Soulful Strutters because they were in a diff- uh, way different class in every way. But we're getting and and. Uh, so uh, Dave Winfield comes over to me, and he's, he looks down at me, and he says, uh, I hear you guys are calling yourself a very, very unfortunate name. I hear you're making fun of us. Is that right? And I said, oh, uh, well, well, no, but, you know, you want to talk to John Bream here. He's the coach. Of the, he's our coach. <laughs> I want to talk to John. Go after the music critic. Uh, yeah, that's phenomenal. Yep. That's great. So he goes over to he goes over to Bream, and now he's towering over Bream, and and. Bream is somewhat flustered, I would say. And I said, I, so I, I jumped in and I say, you, you know, Dave, this is the, we call ourselves that. It's a tribute to the greatness of your team. And Bream says, yeah, yeah, tribute, greatness. <laughs> <laughs> Did he buy it? Winfield just walked away, just turned his back on us, walked away in disgust. It's a good plan. It's a good plan. We have to take a break. We'll be back, what, about five minutes, Andy? Works for me. I suppose it's up to Doug. Yeah, that's fine. Car selling Uh secrets is coming up next with the family.